As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to Lads and Powers. This is Scott Powers of the of the Athletic, joined by Mark Lazarus of the Athletic. Hello, Mark. It's been a while. It has been. Uh, I, I, I'm warning you ahead of time. I'm still mentally struggling with the fact that I found out Shakira is three years older than I am, today. Uh, and I look like this, and she looks like that. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if my heart's in it right now because I'm I'm, I'm struggling to find the will to go on. <laughs> is it sad that I didn't watch any of the Super Bowl? It's a little sad. I, 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 like, like, I, my neighbors across the street, who I know will not listen to this because they don't listen to sports or anything, um, like we had them over to hang out. We're, we're good friends with them, and we had them over. They're just not sports people at all. They got two kids, and you know they're my age, and they just don't watch sports at all. And it's like it's such a foreign concept to me, like to just like just to have just be completely disconnected to not even care that the Super Bowl is on. I mean, my kids don't care about sports at all beyond the mascots, but my daughter was making like. She's drawing the Chiefs logo and the 49ers logo and, and putting them on the wall and kind of getting everybody excited. For, like, like It's just like it's an event. And it boggles my mind that there are people out there that just don't care at all. Like, I understand not caring who wins or looking at it cynically, but, like, to not even want to watch it, that's such a foreign concept to me. Yeah, I don't – it's weird. I, I was a Bears fan, and I, I'm, yeah, I don't, not, not so much anymore, but I, I was a Bears fan for a long time, and I got really – I used to be that person who yells at the TV and stuff, and then I – I covered the Bears for a little bit, and that sort of uh, disheartened me. And then I, uh, and then I stopped playing fantasy football, and then I realized I sort of not a huge NFL fan. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, I got home today from this morning from Arizona after the Hawks thing, and 
uh, just spent the day with the kid and then put her to sleep and hung out all day. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. It just it was one of those things where, like, if I guess if I'd been in front of the TV, I would have watched it. But it wasn't like – it used to be an event where I'd go to someone's house and go to a party. Yeah. And um, I am a sports fan. And, you know, like, I – it was nice in Arizona. I had, you know, some free mornings, watched some soccer, saw Liverpool play. And um, But, yeah, I uh, – yeah, I don't know. I just – I uh, – yeah, well, again, of... that's a perfect example. You mentioned soccer. I am not, you know very well, I'm not a soccer person. I couldn't care less about any of it. But when the World Cup's on, it's, it, it's usually on in my house. Especially yeah. like the championship game, it's, I'm going to watch it. If it's an event that matters to a lot of people, you know, it's, I'm watching the impeachment coverage. It matters to a lot of people. I'm watching the Super Bowl. It matters to a lot of people. <laughs> like, I just like to be kind of in tune with what the world's in tune with. And, you know, like my friends, like, they, they're not internet people. Like, they're not. They don't, they're not really like on Twitter ever, and they don't watch sports. I'm like, what do you do with all your time? I don't understand it. You know, that's funny. I, I, I didn't watch it at all on TV, but I, I actually followed on Twitter towards the end and kind of saw Kansas City coming back, and it was it's, it's weird to follow because you, you see how people are reacting. And It's a good game. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but for our purpose at hand here, we're here to talk about hockey and specifically about the Chicago Blackhawks hockey club. Yeah, you know, this uh, this Super Bowl was exciting, but it wasn't as good as that random-ass February game. Oh, God, yeah, right? Like who, it was... would have, who would have thought? Uh, it's too bad there's not like a wild card game, you know? Like that's the, those two teams have to play each other to get into the playoffs. Cause Someday I... there will be. Someday. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that was that was fascinating. Like it was... Uh... Like, it, it just sort of evolved into, like, well, like, early on, Arizona was getting some really good chances, and then all of a sudden, the Blackhawks were, and all of a sudden, Ranta and Crawford were just making save after save. Oh, and, it's fantastic, and then the overtime was great, and the more great saves, and, you know, we all hate the shootout, but then you see Taves and Kane do what Taves and Kane did, it's like, man, that was actually cool to watch, and it's, that that, that felt like, you know, I, I, the few things as a sports writer drive me nuts more than when, like, some TV or radio person walks in the locker room in the middle of a regular season game like, well, hey, so that was like a playoff atmosphere, right? For like a regular season game. But God damn, that kind of felt that way. That was like a, was a rare game that had that kind of energy to it, you know? Yeah, no, it was it, it was it was it was fun. It was yeah, and, and the way that Carlton even reacted like afterward about the uh, the shootouts and he's he mentioned how Taves beat Ronta three different times and it was just, yeah, uh, yeah it was it was an interesting emotion from him even and you know I caught Jarmelson uh, Jarmelson was talking to Taves and Crawford in the in the hallway afterward and um and they were talking about the game but you know like it, there, there was an excitement that everyone knew that this was something unique that happened. Uh, in a regular season game, and the fact that it, there were the points on the line, and um, and it, you know Blackhawks go up two nothing, and Coyotes come back, and then yeah, for the playout how it did, um, yeah, it, it just it made for yeah, like you said, uh, just a fascinating you, February and you think, game. You think about it, Ben Pope, our our colleague at the Sun Times, tweeted about this again a couple times today. About when you look at the last handful of games here, and that game in Toronto was was high flying fun if you're a Blackhawks fan. The Winnipeg game the next day was a great game. Then you had Joel Quenville's return. That was a high-paced, high-emotion game. And then you come out of the break and you got this game. Like, who would have thought that the Hawks could be this fun in late January, early February, the way this season started out? I mean, it's it's pretty crazy that we're sitting here talking about, you know, standings and, and scoreboard watching and, and fun hockey, this high offense, high-octane offense, like, you know, I think both of you, you and I were both relatively optimistic about this team coming into the season, but after that first month or so, like, it was hard to imagine meaningful hockey in the second half of the season, and it looks like we're getting it. Yeah, I, it, we're, we're three points out now, and 
Um, the games in hand? Yeah, it's uh, there, there's a bunch of hockey played, and I still think Nashville is a team to watch. And uh, you know, the fact that Arizona is sort of crumbling, and I, I don't think anyone's too afraid of you know Minnesota and Winnipeg, and um, you know, I think Pacific. Most of the teams in the division are probably uh, you know kind of separate themselves a little bit, but uh, Blackhawks are they're relevant. They put themselves in the race, and uh, they're healthy. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just it's. Uh, yeah, it feels like they're clicking, you know, like it just it's uh, uh it's like yeah, we talked to you know before the season, like on paper, this this is a decent team. If if things if things break right, this is a good team. And now we were thinking Calvin Dehan was gonna be in the top four. We were thinking Brent Seabrook was gonna be back there. We weren't thinking about Adam Boquist. We probably weren't thinking that much about Kirby Doc centering the second line. Um, but we we look on paper, you know, Kubalik could be a real thing. There's a lot of offense, the goaltending is gonna be great. And sure enough, now when you see them, and, and, and you, you mentioned this on Twitter during the, the Coyotes game, is you know this lineup looks, this is the way the lineup should look. Like, this is a good-looking lineup when you got balance through the top three lines. you got a fourth line that's full of reliable, dependable, kind of defensive-minded guys. Like, all of a sudden, this team looks with Sod back and with Strom back, and, and Sod's just been unbelievable. Uh, Kane's playing great. Taze is playing great. Kubelik's playing out of his mind last month or so. All of a sudden, you look at this team, and you're like, "Well, why the hell not them, right?" Yeah, yeah, I, I and this has to make Stan Bowman think too about what what he's going to do at the deadline because if if they're playing well and there's uh, say they firm up a spot here in the next few weeks or, or they're firmly in that race, uh, he has to do something, right? Like it's there's ways to – this team as is is maybe not a Stanley Cup contender, you know? Like I, no, there's no, there's no. still holes in it and. Um, do you, do you go after it? You know, like, do you, I, I don't think, I, I think Doc fits a lot more in the NHL right now than Boquist. I think Boquist has been suitable and certainly exceeded expectations, but that type pairing is not really driving offense. Uh, Boquist's offense hasn't been there in the, you know, I, I wrote about it for today too, as part of my columns last night, it was that you look at the top power play union, Boquist hasn't exactly ignited it where he doesn't have a single goal and, you know, 60-plus minutes of power play, and there's two assists. Um, and you look at some of the, you know, the metrics of Boquist and Keith, and it's, um, they've been fine. They haven't been on the ice for a lot of goals against, but it's not like they're driving possession. So, um, yeah, I think Keith's been a nice security blanket for Boquist. But if you go into the playoffs, uh, if you can get, like, a, you know, uh, someone who can be, uh, you know, more of the kind of hang, you know, play with Keith instead of just being having, you know, play alongside Keith and being protected. I, I, I wonder if Bowman has to consider, you know, how aggressive to be and, and, you know, how good, how good can this team be if he upgrades in a few areas? Well, the Blackhawks were, were, were pushing by the time the deadline rolled around. That's right when they were in quote unquote in the playoff mix last year and they didn't really do anything. And there was some lingering resentment, I think in the room from the veteran guys that are thinking, look, you, know, you only have us at our primes for so long and you didn't really do anything this year. I think it would be, a much more overt anger if the Hawks come through this Canadian trip next week, uh, still very much in the mix, and they don't add, they're, they're going to be pissed off. And they deserve to be pissed off because they're playing well enough right now for a long enough stretch of time that to think that, yeah, they can get in, and then you never know what can happen. They've been talking about that forever. They haven't made the playoffs in two years. They haven't won a playoff series in four. Um, if you don't add something, it doesn't have to be much. I don't, Stan Bowman knows he can't go out, and he's not going to be mortgaging the future. He's not... They don't have a second-round pick. They're not going to give up their first-round pick. They're not going to trade a Boquist or a, or a Doc or anyone like that. They're not going to be able to land a huge fish. 
but you've got to make some kind of effort to bolster the scoring a little bit. Maybe I, I, the, the, the defenseman market looks pretty thin right now. I don't know if there is a top pairing guy to be had out there to replace Boquist. That's a concern. But you have to make some kind of overture to your veterans that I believe in you. I believe in this group. Or there's going to be – there won't be a mutiny because this is hockey. That doesn't happen. But you're going to have a very unhappy group of veterans on this team if, like I said, they come through that Canadian trip where they got Winnipeg, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg again. They come through that a week before the deadline, and they've got a chance. You have to do something. You have to make some kind of effort to, to improve this team for the stretch run because you know the teams around you are doing the same. I asked – I noticed Kane had some, said something at the All-Star game about, the, you know, about knowing that Bowman had some decisions to make, and I, and I asked him – you know, a little bit more specifically when we were in uh, in Glendale the last few days. And, and I asked him, you know, this, is he hopeful that Bowman makes a trade, you know, knowing that. And, and and he mentioned, you know, he's like the only thing that he's really done is that Brendan Perlini trade. He was very political about his answer, saying that, you know, it's ultimately the front office's decision and stuff. But um, in the past, Bowman's been a little bit more active, you know. I mean, even last year going out and, uh, you know, getting Strom and, um, you know, altering that roster, and you know, usually he's been a little bit more aggressive in season to try to upgrade this team, and and certainly he's been waiting to kind of figure out whether his team was going to fold or or rise to the challenge. Um, but yeah, I'd be surprised if there wasn't some. Um, and, and I don't even know if it has to be a high end player, like you said. It's just I think a veteran in a few spots would make a big difference. You know, like um, I know they want to give Boquist and some of those guys experience and Nylander, but. If you can find an upgrade that just a little bit more reliable, a little bit more, um, yeah, just proven, I, I think that's that'd be a huge step or, yeah, for this team where you have a lot of those, um, you have a lot of those big pieces. You you need a couple complementary pieces, and I, I think it would make a big difference. I, I thought it was also interesting that Colton decided to bring Crawford, <clears throat> start Crawford yesterday, in that definitely, yeah. Uh, you know, Leonard had been uh, Leonard had been the better goalie for a good stretch, and um, and then, you know, Leonard has that tough game against Florida, and then you, you look at some of the previous games, and Crawford maybe has the better numbers, and um, I, I think from here on out, I, I, it's, I mean, Carlton's going to go with whoever he feels is going to be uh, given the best chance to win, and, and he's sort of proven that so far that it's, um, you know, he's kind of gone away from that 1A, 1B thing, and uh, going to take the goalie that he who's playing better, so um, it, it's certainly got to be motivation for those two guys, but it, it also had to be somewhat surprising to Leonard that, uh, you know, he hadn't been sort of chosen over before, and this was the first time they called him decided that uh, he's gonna probably going to ride Crawford for a little bit. Well, what makes it a little easier going forward is you got three back-to-backs in the next, like, two weeks. Yeah. you got Minnesota-Boston back-to-back, and you got Edmonton-Vancouver back-to-back, and you got Calgary-Winnipeg back-to-back. There's really only one game. That, that first Winnipeg game on February 9th is really the only time he's going to have to make a decision between the two goalies. So he'll have a much better idea of who's playing better by the time they come back from Canada. And then they got that every other day with the Rangers, the Predators, the Stars, the Blues, the Lightning, the Panthers. By then, you'll know which goalie is playing better. So uh, it, it, I, I think that takes some of the pressure off of Colleton. And it is, you know, it's his job. And he's been fine with that. He scratched Brent Seabrook three times. But it is pressure to pick between two proud veteran goalies uh, especially in a playoff push. Those guys want to play. Crawford, you know, Crawford's the ultimate team guy. He's not going to raise his think about it, but he also hasn't hid his displeasure with being essentially the backup goalie for the last six weeks or so. Uh, he wants the job back. It's his job. It's been his job for a decade, and he wants it back. So these, uh, I think that could only really help the Hawks where you got these guys competing with these back-to-backs 
to prove that you should be the guy in late February and March when these games are really going to matter. It's interesting, too, in the fact that, you know, Pierre Lebrun reported that the Blackhawks and, uh, and Leonard's agent have talked and they were going to reach out again this week. Um, you know, Blackhawks signed Matt Tompkins to an NHL deal, so all of a sudden you have Delian Link, uh, Delian Tompkins signed. Lincoln is going to be an RFA, and you, you think they re-sign him. And, uh, you know, you, you have those three guys signed, and then, you know, Crawford and Leonard being the UFAs and, you know, them talking to Leonard. It's uh, it's pretty apparent that who they see going forward. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like this sort of this underlining drama, this whole thing, where it's uh, maybe this is Crawford's last ride, and, um, and he's sort of playing for his future too, but it's uh, the other factor you have to consider is you know Crawford might be an attractive trade candidate. Um, what if a team? What we've talked about how it's tough to trade goalies at the deadline because goalie rentals don't tend to work out very well. But if you got an offer for Crawford, would you consider it, knowing you could ride Leonard the rest of the way, or would you want to make sure you have that safety net because if one of them gets hurt? Then all of a sudden, it's Colin Delia or Kevin Lankin down the stretch, and you don't really have much of a chance. So uh, that's a tough decision they're going to have to make. If there's an offer on the table for Crawford, are you willing to make that move? Yeah, I, I think you have to. You know, guys sometimes walk as UFAs, and that just. I, I think if you're near that, you know, whether it's Gustafson or Crawford or whomever, that you, uh, you, you just take that risk. You know, like you, you, I think these guys are good enough and big enough pieces to that have helped you get in this place. And, and if you're in a spot where you can compete. Um, and you're risking, you know, losing those guys in free agency. I think that's what you you have to take that risk. And that uh, I, I don't think trading those guys, unless you're bringing back pieces that'll make you uh, improving some other way. But like like you said, I mean, it's 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 not like Lankinen or or Delia or that proven at this. I mean, Lankinen hasn't even played an NHL game yet, and um, you know, Delia was good for a pretty good stretch last year. But he, you know, was also inconsistency. So. I, uh, you know, if Leonard gets hurt and all of a sudden one of those guys throw in net, and then I think that can come back and backfire you pretty, pretty good too. Uh, well, let's talk about Kirby Doc a little bit because you know he had that long stretch where he wasn't scoring, and you know what was impressive was he didn't really get down on himself, and the team wasn't down on him. Everybody seemed to recognize, look, the kid's playing really well for a kid that age. And it's nothing to stress about. All of a sudden, they move him up to the second line, and he's playing really well. He's a good fit with Saad and, and Kane on either side of him. That seems to be working. I mean, Christ, you look at the top three picks right now. He's having a better season than Capo Caco, maybe than Jack Hughes. Uh, you know, a lot of us were not critical of that pick, but we kind of raised eyebrows. Like, hey, well, Kirby Dock instead of Alex Turcotte or Bowen Byram? And who knows? Maybe Bowen Byram is the next Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes or, or something like that. But Man, that, that, that Doc pick looks really good in retrospect right now. you got to think that with his size and his skill set and his, his skating ability, which is, I think, a little underrated during the scouting process, uh, he's going to be a very good player. And, and to the Blackhawks and Collins' credit, they've made this work and then given him an increased opportunity. You know, I, I think, um, you know, I, I wrote that Collins piece over, over the break about whether, you know, people should boom or, or not, and you know, sort of make that decision. And, and I think, you know, you can certainly criticize him for some of the early decisions and, and, and you know, people can hate him for whatever reason. But um, I think there were some questions about, you know, how Joel Quinville managed prospects and then how Carlton was going to do that. And he certainly got some criticism after everything happened with that Henry Yaki, Henry Yokiharu. But for him to, you know, for him and Baldwin decide, let's give Doc a full chance, because they, they certainly didn't either. They could have sent him to junior, back to juniors. And then now, you know, 
increased his opportunity, put him on the top power play unit, put him on the second uh, second line with Saad and, and, and Kane. And, um, and, I, and I think there's been a lot of decisions down this stretch too, you know, from, from sitting Seabrook to, um, you know, sitting other veterans and, you know, sitting Mata was pretty big. And, um, and then sort of kind of admitting that maybe he's wrong a little bit on some of the lines and he puts Kubalik with Taves and, uh, you know, has moved Nylander down the lineup. And um, I think there's been, you know, I, I think he's tried some things and, and either succeeded or failed. But when he has failed, he's uh, he's made some changes. And the Blackhawks are playing better hockey. So, um, you know, even yesterday, I you know, I saw people tweeting, sort of criticizing Carlton about some of his quotes about hockey gods and saying that's the only thing that could help Carlton. But it's like the, at, at some point you sort of admit that the Blackhawks are playing decent hockey and they're right, in the mix right. and – um, and, and I think him handling those prospects and, uh, you know, him, whether giving Secura some time or Highmore and, you know, they, they, and Boquist, you know, like they, they put Boquist on the top power play unit now and playing with him, Keith, they, they put these, these prospects in pretty good positions to succeed and giving them time. And um, I think there's some credit due to just to how he's handled all those, you know, like I guess the different adversities and, um, and the various injuries and plugged in prospects and, and making it work. And this is two straight years that Colleton has fixed things on the fly to a degree and, and, and helped them help engineer a second-half push. You'd like to see him do it earlier. You know, there was a lot of us, you and I in particular, screaming about Dominic Kubalik on the top line back in October. And I still don't know why it took so long. And maybe the thing, maybe they would be higher up in the standings right now if some of these moves were made uh, earlier. But at the same time, you can't fault the guy for making the right decisions eventually because right now everything's working. Uh, and they, you survived. Not only did they survive Brandon Sod and Dylan Strome, two of their top six guys being out for an extended period of time, they thrived. That's their best stretch. And now you plug them in, and all of a sudden things really seem kind of crackling. And there's just there's such a confidence about this team. I I, I come back to the the, the 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 shootout goal, the Tave shootout goal. There was such confidence in the way he attacked that puck. He came in at like a hundred miles an hour, like "fuck you, I'm going to score right now." Yeah. And, and 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 when Taves has that feeling, and, and we've we've seen this for years now, when Taves has that "I can do anything" feeling, the team really follows it. Like he he is that guy that they do follow, and and he has this for the last few weeks now. You could sense the confidence that really hasn't been there for the last few years, kind of returning to him. Just like holy shit, I can smell it right now. We could do something, and uh, I can't. I can't put my finger on exactly how it works, but we've been around it enough to know that when Taves is feeling that way, the team starts feeling that way. And hockey is a very mental, emotional, uh, momentum-based game. And fans hate it when I bring up momentum. They don't think it exists. But it doesn't matter because it exists in the player's mind. Every hockey player you talk to believes in things like this. And right now, when things are snowballing in the right direction, we've seen what happens when it snowballs in the wrong direction. It's bad. But right now, things are going, and they're feeling it. And, man, this next month is so big. It's so many road games. It's against all these bubble teams they're going to be facing, all those Pacific Division teams that are kind of in the same boat. Uh, it's such a crucial stretch coming up, and you can't, you can't ask for it at a better time because right now the Hawks are feeling like world beaters. They're not. They're a mediocre team playing barely above 500 hockey. But right now they feel like world beaters, and that goes a long way in the NHL. Yeah, so with Minnesota, Boston coming up, you'll be in Minnesota. Another another team where they you know that's right there on the cusp and um, and Minnesota's imploding. I mean they're just they're they're going the way we thought. They just took them longer to get there than we thought. I think it's crazy. Like if they lose that Arizona game in regulation, like this conversation is completely different. Like it's oh, absolutely. It, it would have been six points out, and all of a sudden you know like it's just it's 
it, it was such a so, dumb game. <laughs> it was so key to just it, it, to get more points than Arizona in that game and and feel like you're moving forward. And um, during the, uh, I guess we we, uh, we haven't recorded a podcast in a bit, but we did the uh, the player poll, the specific uh, our team yep, poll yep. where we've done the NHL one, and this was the first time that we've done a a team poll, and they did it throughout the athletic and. Um, you know, I think we, what do we end up talking with 16, 17? I think it was, I think it was 19, 19 players. 19 guys. And for the record, I hate, we do this for the athletic national poll every year. I hate doing that. I hate asking these guys, like, who would you want to have a beer with? I mean, the story's always great. It's worth doing it, but I always feel awkward. Uh, these guys hate talking about other guys' players, but this was really fun. You and I doing this, the players were having a lot of fun with it. They were taking their answers seriously. They were really thinking it over. Uh, and they're just chirping at you. They have no problem talking shit on their own teammates. This is a lot of fun to do. <laughs> I actually started thinking of questions for next year too. So I'm, I'm kind of you know, looking forward to see how this evolves and uh, bring. And, and it was fun to see other like uh, you know they sort of gave us freedom with this too, and just um, you know they gave us some, uh, some some mock questions, but also just allowed us to ask us whatever we want. And yeah, they basically said, "Hey, do a player poll while you're doing the match." Yeah, polls. and it was uh, it's been kind of cool to see what some of the other writers did, and I think uh, there's some ideas to steal from that to kind of make this better, but um, what, uh, what what was your most surprising uh, surprising answer in the poll? Um, I don't know. What, my, my biggest takeaway from the poll was just how quickly Robin Leonard has become a big deal in this locker room. Like, he was everyone's answer for so many questions. He's the loudest. He's the funniest. The most likely to be a coach. The most likely to be a broadcaster. The, the guy you don't want to fight. The guy who cheats the most in two-touch. Like, he dominated this thing. A guy who's only been here for four or five months, whatever it's been, he dominated this poll. He, he is on the lips of everyone in that room. He's really, you know, and, you know, it's. I think some people maybe misinterpret these things. Like, when you're chirping a teammate, it's because you like that teammate. Like, Andrew Shaw gets a lot of shit from all of his teammates. Oh, he's dumb, he's loud, he's annoying. But that's because they love the guy. So, you know, it's telling how much Robin Leonard has become a big part of this team so quickly. Most first-year guys, it takes a little while, especially when you got some really established names in the room. Robin Leonard has almost taken over that locker room in, in a very short amount of time. Yeah, he's such a larger-than-life personality. And I think the fact that he's been successful, because if he's not playing well and you're that type of player, I think he doesn't go over as well as much. But the fact that you know he played so well and, and sort of everyone sort of just embraced him, his personality and, and who he is... and uh, I think for the most part, you know, I, this is a group that seems to like each other, and I think that helps a lot too. We're just, um, yeah, that type of personality fits in with this group. And um, I thought the one interesting, I, I sort of, you know, Alex Nylander was kind of voted as the uh, the best and worst dressed, and how that how that European uh, uh, style can just kind of be interpreted. Two I, I love ways. how Dennis Gilbert was almost universally the worst dressed. <laughs> Like it was like there's some answers you know you, we were asking like I think for what 17 or 18 questions and it took usually around three or four minutes to go through the poll but some guys it was like seven or eight minutes because they're hemming and hawing over all these answers really trying to give you the right answer but we're stressed Dennis Gilbert it's Gilly <laughs> Gilly it was just so fast <laughs> um, yeah no it was it was a lot of fun if anyone hasn't read it we have it up on the athletic I also I, I, another thing I took from it is. Is is how impressed everyone is with Dominic Kubalik. There was a there were several times where I asked a guy like uh, best shot in the team, and they would say oh, Kaner, and then they would go, actually, you know what? No, no, I think I think I think it'd be Kubalik. I think him. Like like they they would kept talking themselves into giving Kubalik hardest shot, best shot. Um, he he's uh, best skater, underrated. Like he really 
has impressed these guys very quickly. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting to see guys that are genuinely surprised or impressed by uh, some of these answers. I, I thought there were some there were some odd ones. You know, uh, uh, Mata got a best skater one, and it wasn't sarcastic. <laughs> and 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 I kind of followed up on it with the player, and he's like, "Well, he's just he's very smooth out there. And I know he's not the fastest guy in the world. Uh, I know everyone says he's really slow, but." If you see the way he skates, he skates beautifully, and the way he works his edges, like he he maximizes what speed he does have to be in the right position. And you know, I always phrased that question. I said, "Best skater, however you interpret that." Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I wasn't just saying who's the fastest skater right, on the yeah. team because it would be you know Duncan Keith or Brandon Scott or whatever. So I thought that was really interesting when you have some guys take it really seriously and really think you know kind of deeply about some of these questions. For, for the players who played two touch, they were very opinionated too. Or that. <laughs> And a lot of people often said they were their, they were the best player themselves. I feel like I gave it away with the story, but I wonder one of these days I want to write about Alex Debrinkit in two touch. We have to. Uh, uh, most people I'm sure don't know this, but if you ever been to a game and you watch when they show like the clips of them playing two touch in that little hallway at the United Center, they show it on the scoreboard every game. All the writers when we go in gate three and a half, we have to walk through that. If you get if you get to the game between like 75 minutes and two hours before the game in that window, which is most of us show up. You have to walk through their two touch game. I, I don't. Like, I, I don't go through anymore. Oh, I, it's I, the I, worst. I I, I, I go around it. upstairs and I, I, yeah, I, I can't do it. I just I used to be so embarrassed and I. I, it, I do. I, I just I hate it. I, I mean, we're you know, it, it happens like fifty times where people coming through, so they're used to it. But I just hate it. I feel yeah. so awkward. No, I stop. But doing it. I, I still I, I always go through it, and I've noticed Alex Debrink is such this mild mannered kind of guy. He's fucking crazy <laughs> during two touch games. He's screaming at everybody. He's mfing them up and down. Show effort! Show some fucking effort! And he's just screaming and yelling. And, and it was funny because every time I, I brought up the two-touch, I would I brought up to Brinkett, and everyone was like, oh my god, he's, he's dude's intense. He's crazy. He takes the shit too seriously. And it was really funny because like it's the one thing where Alex Debrinkett, this like really polite, nice, soft-spoken, mild-mannered kid, is crazy as shit. And it's just fascinating to me that like what brings out that personality in certain guys. Maybe we can start up a media two-touch game. Uh, I would not do well. I would injure myself. Most of us would injure ourselves. I think. There'd be a lot of old groins and hamstrings. Um, you went to the All Star game uh, with your daughter. I did. What was uh, what was that experience like? Um, honestly, it was. It was it, I mentioned this on Twitter. It was one of the coolest experiences I've had in this job, and I've been very fortunate to have a lot of cool experiences. Um, my daughter is not a sports kid at all. She likes to dance and she wants to do gymnastics, but like not like competitive. She's not a competitive person. She likes to draw. She likes to read. But she's always had this love of the NHL mascots. So she like I bought these books in Calgary when I was like two, when she was like two years old, and so she's always known all the mascots. And now my four year old's really into them, so they just kind of keeping it alive for my older one. And you know, uh, so last year we did that little silly ranking of the mascots when Gritty came out, um, and two years ago the NHL invited me, Nerva Malloy from the NHL. Uh, invited me to bring to oh I just said her name uh, to bring her out to uh, uh, San Jose or Tampa for the All Star game and, and like report on the mascot showdown I'm like oh it's a great idea but just I can't bring her out there it's too expensive I, I, I got school but with it being in St Louis it seemed like a no brainer and a couple of the mascots who I've gotten to know through Twitter a little bit uh, suggested she come and so we brought the whole family down and it was really cool because she had her little athletic notebook and her athletic pen and her press pass around her neck and we were sitting in front row. They gave us good seats for everything. And nice. she, she really took it seriously. She took like nine pages of notes. She was jotting everything down. Uh, she was so proud of it. It was, it was, you know, as a dad, it was, it was kind of really cool <laughs> awesome. to, to see her get that excited about something. Cause you know, 
all kids are jaded on everything, especially things like that. Dad's like, but uh, it was really cool. You know, they, they, I got her into the building for the hockey game that they play before the All Star game, and she screamed when Howler scored because Howler's her favorite mascot. And it was it was it was a really cool experience. I was really glad and uh, grateful that the athletic lets me do silly things like that. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a fun piece. Yeah, that both of them have been. I I think a lot of people. Uh, just, yeah, it was sort of like a form, you know, like, you, you know, going into it, that what do you kind of expect from the story? And it was, I think both of those mascot stories have kind of lived up to the hype where it's just, it's a fun read and it's a, it's a nice step It was just amazing. That, everything yeah, it was just read. amazing to me that at the, when she got home from school that day that it ran, uh, I, got, I, I actually let her sit in there and, and just read all the comments. There's like 140 comments. They were all like super positive and it's like the internet's not supposed to be like this. What's going on? <laughs> and she, she was so proud and she was confident and it, 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 it's such Confidence is everything at that age, and it was just really cool to see That's her, awesome. you know, kind of pull something like that off. Um, you leave for the morning for uh, for Minnesota? Yeah, Hawks. Uh, the Hawks, did, uh, they stayed in Arizona to watch the Super Bowl together at the Team Hotel, which is two days off, and they're uh, flying to Minnesota in the morning for their practice late in the afternoon. I'll be there for that, and they got a game. Um, it's, uh, geez, this is a weird, a lot of weird travel. You got this Arizona-Minnesota schedule. Which is going to become a common thing. Arizona is going to be in the central in two years. Yeah. And then you've got the stupidest trip. This might be the stupidest trip I've ever seen. And there was, <laughs> been, there was, there was the New Year's trip a couple of years ago that was Western Canada and New York, which I thought was the stupidest trip I ever saw. And there was the time a few years ago where they went Ottawa, Montreal, home against Winnipeg, and then out at Toronto, which was really stupid. But this trip is Winnipeg, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg again. They start and end a trip in Winnipeg. I've never <laughs> seen anything like that. They should just do the Taves schedule. Uh, that was the right answer because this is just ridiculous travel schedule. Uh, so we'll be at, back at it on Thursday, and we'll have uh, at least we'll have two games, two more games to talk about. Yes, and we'll uh, we appreciate everyone being patient. The, the between the bye week, Scott took a little vacation, and then I had the All Star game, and then Arizona Scott went up Arizona. Just didn't really work out where we could find the time to make all this work. Uh, podcasting guys, but we'll get yep. back on schedule now that the uh, season's back. Yes, and at some point we'll probably see each other again. So, um, maybe Wednesday. I guess I have no excuse not to go to the game. Oh, I was. Yeah, no, I, I haven't covered a game in like two and a half weeks. <laughs> probably. I, I was thinking probably practice <laughs> later in the week. So, um, <laughs> we'll figure it out. But, um, yeah, this is uh, this is Laz and Powers. I am Scott Powers. He's Mark Lazarus, and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Won't you let me 